look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How about you? Whew. Smoky, smoky. Yeah, it was. It's hazy, isn't it? Did it's you feel, did you feel it? Like yeah, well, and stuff? I could uh, I could smell it for sure. I'm not sure I've felt it, but I'm not. Think, I don't think I'm going for a long run. That's for sure. Y- yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> good for you that you didn't, you didn't feel it. Cause I felt it. So no, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Um, it's it's a, not only hazy here. Mm-hmm. It's hazy also maybe in Mexico right now with uh, with what's going on with Mr. Trump and uh, and all these potential no. tariffs. and Yeah, we'll get to that. That was Holy. a surprise to the market, wasn't it? Um, Holy. Yeah, totally. We do have a cool show, though. We're going to talk about, we've talked about technology, but, you know, one of the things that we think technology is going to have to do is is help help us as we age, right? And there's all kinds of issues that we face. Some of them are just utility issues. You know, how do I get around or fix things and clean up and those kinds of things. And some yeah. of it is about, about interaction, right? Yeah. Socially, socially isolated. We're going to talk about that. You know, people are, are 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 actually going through things that they don't want to talk about. They they want to go through a whole bunch of different conversations, and so we're going to talk about what people hate discussing the most. Okay, and it's a financial topic. Okay, so what is the one of the biggest things that people hate talking about? Okay, and so we'll that have a good. Yeah. Well, that's a little tease for everybody. There. All right, let's go back to your Mexico comment for a minute. Let's talk about the markets because they were spooky again this week. Yeah, so we've had four to five weeks of drops in, uh, especially in the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. Um, quarterly speaking, about even in Canada, mm-hmm. quarter to date. So we're talking mm-hmm. from from April first till now. Um, but I want, let's, I want to talk about this surprise, right? We talk about uncertainty a lot and the effect it has on the markets, and there's been some uncertainty around the trade relationship with China and the U.S., but that wasn't the – I mean, that was still in the background. Don't get me wrong, but – I think I think the surprise that came out when, we, when I when – I, and I follow Trump on his Twitter feed because I need to now in my job. And, and so when I see his tweet come out and then I see all the other corresponding – the media reports coming out and um, – the trade, the trade representative Peter Navarro was speaking, and I've been doing all this stuff. And the mm-hmm. Friday was a very interesting day for me. Um, the well, the yeah. the conversation about tariffs and it being a trade war. Let me separate trade war with trade bait. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's happening in China? Trade war initially, mm-hmm. but it's trade bait for other things. And what I mean by they're going to use trade and tariffs to stimulate a conversation about something else. In China, it's a trade war for, for goods and services, yes, but it's also trade bait to talk about technology, privacy, piracy. Immigration. From China? Not, not for China. Let's go Mexico on that one. But trade, yeah. yeah that, no, so they're broader than China. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're using the Mexico situation, mm-hmm. and they're saying, hey, you guys can do some stuff over there. There's stuff. There's places that you can you can seal off your border to where people are coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna tariff you in the middle of the of the ratification the ratification of the new NAFTA, mm-hmm. which we'll see. We'll see if it gets iced. We'll see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They've got ten days or so to figure this stuff out, mm-hmm. unless and they're going to see a five percent tariff is going to move up if. And this is all about getting countries and their own politicians to the table. 
And so when we look through this, and I, and the initial reaction is, oh my God, it's going to get worse before it gets better. What There's two groups of people who need to understand what's happening from my perspective. There's the investors, and they're not happy about this. The markets don't like this. It's too much uncertainty, too many problems. From a economic perspective, mm-hmm. people are saying it's going to be damaging. I want to challenge that. Okay. I want to challenge the fact that when we say it's going to be damaging, who is it damaging to? The immediate reaction on tariffs is that it's going to be more costly for the individual that's receiving that product mm-hmm. or purchasing that product. Not necessarily true. Do tell. So in the short term, there will be inflation. But if the trade war or that tariff continues, businesses are going to get up and move to places where they can still make a better profit margin. Or currencies will fall. Or currencies will fall. or some, And that's a part of the inflation issue. There's going to be an adjustment. And so think of it this way, Dave. When, when, you're, when you see the price of gas in Calgary shoot up to, let's call it $2.50 a liter. Wow. Does that mean inflation went up for you? Depends if I drive a car. So you're driving a car. It's gone up to $2.50 a liter. Are you going to spend less on gas? No, I'll be spending more on gas. So you're going to, but you're going to take it away from something else. So my discretionary spending somewhere else goes down. Which is what? It's a deflationary issue now. Initially, it's inflation. If it continues, it's deflation for other items. Well, not necessarily deflation. It just might mean a slowdown in in consumer spending, which is 70% of GDP in North America. It won't be a slowdown. It'll be a shift. Longer term. Think longer term. Don't think the, the medium term. I'm saying longer term. So we're still go, spending the same amount of dollars. So if you have Got $100. It. Got it. And more of that $100 is going towards gasoline. It's going to go less right. somewhere else. Yeah. Or people will. Which pushes those businesses to bring down their prices so you'll still be able to buy their product. Or... Unemployment goes up because of bankruptcies and profit margins are cut. That's going to happen in the medium term, in the long-term deflation. This is the problem that we faced right now. Outsourcing caused increased profits, Mm -hmm. but didn't increase inflation. So the opposite's going to happen. So when we thought, hey, everything's getting cheaper because we're outsourcing it, we can buy more stuff, that did cause inflation. Right. We haven't had rampant inflation because... Prices were so cheap, we can buy a whole bunch of more other stuff. Well, we didn't have rapid inflation. We have not had rapid inflation. We've had rapid debt accumulation, right? Which just tells people we're buying more stuff. Buying more stuff. (laughs) Which goes back to my thesis that it's not going to be inflationary forever. It's going to be in the short term inflationary. Yeah, but I don't think the market's worried about inflation right now, right? Oh, yeah, they are. I don't think so. Not with the 10-year treasury yields falling the way they are. Every economist that has been reporting about this whole Mexican and Chinese trade issue, as well as Europe and Japan, are saying this is all inflationary. Yeah. And they're all saying, and this is short. Yeah, the the bond market market doesn't doesn't agree with that. The bond bond market's concerned about a global slowdown. So let's, which is true. Right. And it's going to happen as you go through this in the short run. Right. And I think as investors, people who are in retirement, people who are approaching retirement, are taking this trade war and making it the new story for the next 40 years of their life. Right. And so we got to take a step back. And this is why we built the buckets. The growth bucket is a longer term strategy. Right. The income that you need in your retirement should not be affected right. by these types of gyrations in the stock market. Right. In fact, it, the income bucket's profited as. You've made money this. for these people. That's right. It's gone up. 
And so when we start doing those types of proper structures, you can then take a deep breath and say, yeah, it sucks right now in the market, Mm -hmm. but I know that over the next 10 years, because we use a 10-year growth bucket, things are going to be better. Right. Just like they were better than 10 years ago and right. the 10 years before that. Right. And companies will make money. Right. And the right companies will continue to grow. And with the right management. And I'm going to profit on those companies because I know I have a disciplined approach for the longer term. Right. But if I look week by week, day by day, minute by minute on my portfolio because of some tweet that came out that hasn't even been proven yet. He just said, you got 10 days, guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a 5% tariff. Mm-hmm. And then we start seeing like the auto industry freaking out. Mm-hmm. That to me is so short-sighted that I love when these things happen. Yep. Let these people shoot down the sh- stock price down. I love it because we're going to make money because they were going to buy these things at a better price. Good deal. Okay, um, that's interesting conversation for sure. And there's lots of moving parts. Let's remind everybody about our coming seminar. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the economics. We're going to talk about our five-pillar investment strategy approach on Tuesday, June 4th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, don't go away. We'll be chatting after the break about the things that make people most uncomfortable while discussing. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Uh, Faisal, uh, taboo topics. There's a very cool um, survey done. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's called Awkward Silence, a survey. And it talks about the things we don't want to talk about. And we're going to do that today. Uh-oh. So if you're driving in your car, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about the things that are going to make you uncomfortable. Um, the question is, what are those things, generally speaking? We've got a terrific guest here to help us understand those awkward silences and what causes them. We've got Lori Campbell, CEO of Credit Canada, uh, with us today. Lori, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Okay, so let's, um, let's talk about this. Uh, you've recently conducted a survey, um, the Awkward Silences Survey. It's an Angus Reid poll, 1,500 Canadians. Tell us, what did you find? What are, most, what are people most uncomfortable talking about? Well, you know, we, it's interesting. What we thought we'd find, of course, was that people are uncomfortable talking about, you know, the, the, the obvious things like sex, politics, religion, and uh, those types of issues. But yeah. what we really wanted to find out, where, where finances fit into all this. And what we found is that people are almost as uncomfortable talking about their finances as they are talking about religion, politics, or sex. And yeah. so it certainly says that, you know, this is still a taboo subject. That's interesting. Um well, maybe not. I mean, we're we're in the business phase, so it's not. It's certainly not yeah, a we, job. I think we talk about it too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's, <laughs> it's easy for us, but uh, I guess I'm not surprised by the fact. Now, um, let's talk about finances for just a second. Was there one aspect of the finances? Is it is it talking about finances with your partner, or is it with your kids? Was there any? You know, break it down for us if you can. Well, surprisingly, the, the number one was talking about debt and talking about bankruptcy. 31% of, of individuals over the age of 55, for example, are very uncomfortable talking about that. And, you know, only 5% are uncomfortable talking about mortgages or balances on their mortgage, probably because a lot of seniors don't have a mortgage. Yeah. But the fact that there's still 5% tells you that a lot of people are going into perhaps their retirement uh, with a mortgage outstanding still. So, you know, it's not talking about with their spouse. It's talking with other people about yeah. debt, about bankruptcy. It's kind of one of those hidden, you know, sort of secrets that people are carrying around. This is so true because I we, we met with... Um well, I met with a couple of our clients, and um, they were surprised to hear that 
what the situation from a from a financial perspective the average Canadian that's retired looks like mm-hmm. right so when you're de- when you think you know you have you know two million three million dollars you're like oh I don't have a lot of money yeah you do <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah well, you, you do. got a ton of money if you've got two to three million dollars considering what the average uh, senior sitting on right now <laughs> correct and they don't know that like some of these people don't realize where they sit in that they're in the top 10 percent of this of this nation and they yeah. don't realize that but when you start talking about have you have you you know they, they speak with their friends and their friends are doing things and they they believe their friends have more money and mm-hmm. so when they start having the conversation of how much debt do you have? Oh, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and right. what we find here at Credit Canada is there's more and more seniors coming to see us. And what's happening is they're retiring thinking that they have enough money and they, they get into their retirement and realize they really don't. And so they start accumulating debt, come to see us and are trying to get back into the workforce. And after they've retired, it's very, very difficult to get back in. So this is a conversation that we need to talk about because there are so many people that come in and say, I wish I hadn't retired so soon. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that, that, and that coincides, Laurie, quite frankly, with the, you know, when we sit with uh, people who want a second opinion or, um, you know, who've approached us to help them on that, the number mm-hmm. one question that people ask us is, do I have enough? They may not right. express it exactly like that, but at the end of the day, it's, can I do it? Do I have enough money to do this, right? And they don't find out the impact of, if they can sit down with you know, guys like us and go through a full financial strategy and a plan and so forth, and they kind of just winged it, you know, and they say, right. let's just go for it. They don't realize that it's going to be an impact to them for probably 10 years. Right. Well, this is the thing, and I think that the, the ones that are fortunate are the ones that are going to you or any financial planner and, and working out a strategy. But I think a lot of seniors, uh, Canadian seniors, are not really taking that step. They may have defined pension at work, and they might think that, well, you know, I can take an early retirement, so I'll do it. Or they may have saved up thinking that, wow, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. I'm rich. And the reality is, is they're nowhere near uh, rich with that with just that amount, especially if, you know, the retiring early and they're not curbing their lifestyle or they're retiring with, you know, debt or a mortgage. You know, and there's another interesting aspect, you know, looking at the survey, the family and relationship issues. Um, now, it didn't rank number one, two, or three, but it was certainly uh, high on the list. And, you know, Faisal, that's an interesting one, too, because uh, we we find that when we're doing um, conversations about family wishes and intergenerational wealth transfer, like what do you want to do for the kids and the grandkids? Um have you talked to the kids about this, right? You're putting your will together and, you know, you want to give one something to one kid and leave somebody else out on another thing. These, these all create problems if they're not talked about, right? So that's fine. You know, that's sort of finance related, not debt related, but finance related. So you add those two things together, like finances are a, are a big problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a big problem because there's, there's a fear of judgment. Yeah. There's a fear of judgment mm-hmm. on my, I'm going to be judged based upon my net worth. My assets, yeah. my my debt load. Right. Like at the end of the day, you are who you are, regardless of your financial situation. I think we get judged based upon some socioeconomic for uh, viewpoint, and that's what the fear starts to come from. You know, Lori, can you yeah. speak? Can you speak to the this notion that we all think that our friends have more money than us, and if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and we get ourselves into debt problems, like what what can people do about that if they're feeling uncomfortable? Uh, or, or at risk in this area. 
Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you asked that because one of the questions that almost inevitably every single person coming in to see us will say, am I the worst story you've ever heard? Right. They may owe $5,000, they may owe $50,000. Every single one of them asks the same thing. Have I the worst? Because nobody talks about this, so they don't know where they sit uh, as far as their financial situation goes. They, they have nobody to turn to. We're often the first person they've ever talked to or the first place they've ever gone to talk about their money or about their debt. So we are in an environment where people equate wealth, and we see this everywhere, social media is famous for this, with with a, a person's personal success in every angle. And this is a damaging thing for so many people. And this is why it's really hard to open up this conversation and why finances in general, unless you say wealth transfer and talking to your children about money and everything, that is all so taboo. And so what happens is we create generation after generation of people that don't want to talk about this, yeah. this subject. And, and again, it comes back to the, the conversation of are you secure within yourself to have those conversations? You can, you can have, like, when they sit down with us, you'd be surprised how many people avoid talking about certain things like debt. Oh, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll say, well, this is the value of my house. Right. Here's all my savings. Here's what we're going to do with this money. <laughs> By the way, I've got a mortgage. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. Why, are we, why are we whispering on this one? <laughs> like, it's okay you have a mortgage. We understand. Let's, let's move forward from that. I'm not here to right. judge you. Right. I'm here to work but with that's you. The, I think that you make a very good point there is I think that people are so worried about being judged. Yep. And, you know, that's exactly what we see in here, too, because obviously everyone who comes through our doors generally does have debt. We're not seeing uh, the side that you're seeing where they have some, some wealth uh, and they you know they, they're looking at a strategy to retire we're looking at helping people get a strategy to pay off debt or get out of debt right. and you know th- their their biggest fear is they often say I hope you don't judge me or I'm so glad you didn't judge me because yeah. they've been judging themselves people are so hard on themselves and they've been judging themselves for years potentially uh, because of their debt and and we're trying to say you know, stop guilt tripping yourself. Stop feeling bad about your debt situation. It can ha- we know it can happen to anybody uh, in any in, and there's so many sets of circumstances. And yep. you know, we want to open up that conversation so you're free to talk about it. How does somebody get a hold of you if they're having if they're struggling with this and they they want to try to get a hold of this? How how do they contact you? Well, our website's creditcanada.com, so it's very easy. And our, our phone number is 1-800-267-2272. And, you know, we're, we, we'll ta- we're not for profit, so we'll talk to anybody about their financial situation and look for ways to help them solve any problems they have. Lori, I want to thank you for taking some time with us and uh, bringing some light to these taboo topics and, you know, finances and debt uh, amongst the top. Well, thanks to both of you. It's my pleasure. We're joined by Laurie Cabell, CEO of Credit Canada. Um, okay, Faisal, uh, we've got to talk about, you know, debt is is an issue. Uh, people have in, uh, businesses where they've invested in. People just come with a mortgage. People have, uh, have accumulated debt because of a renovation or something like that. All of this is part of the puzzle, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's, it's all part of the planning puzzle, and it, uh, we have to figure out if it all works and how it, work, and, and how it needs to work out to support the lifestyle. We're going to do that at our next uh, seminar. Yeah, we're here to Im- empower you to retire the lifestyle that you want on Tuesday, June 4th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You ready for the invasion of the robots to help in the healthcare? We'll tune in after the break. We're going to talk about that here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, let's talk about um, about technology for a minute. Okay. Okay. Um, 
we, we, over the years, uh, we have had plenty of, um, of conversations, interviews, discussions around healthcare and aging demographic and the role that technology may or may not play. Yep. Um, but I think the, it would be safe to conclude that uh, we believe technology likely has to become a, a part of the solution as, as this demographic, the baby boomers, age yeah. in a number of different ways. Yeah, and I look at, I look at countries like Japan. Yeah. And in my readings and watching videos and seeing what's going on there, they have an aging population and they've got a bigger problem than we do in this country. They, don't have, they have a lack of, of, of a birth rate comparisons to ours and immigration. So you don't have more and more people coming in. So they're relying on technology to fulfill some of the, the tasks that humans are doing in other countries. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. So it, it's a good glimpse into the future. But there's a lot of work being done around this. I mean, there are conferences around this. And we've got a terrific guest today that's going to help us maybe understand a little bit about how close we are right now to having you know technology, specifically robots, helping in care. Deborah Carr is joining us. She's an aging expert, and she's author of Golden Years, Social Inequality in Later Life. Deborah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me on. Okay, well, we, I'm not sure we can do justice in 10 minutes, but I am very, very interested in, in your opinion and your thoughts about, uh, about you know, how close are we right now to replacing people with robots in care situations? I think in the United States and Canada, for that matter, we're still pretty far away. But I think we're coming onto a situation where desperate times require desperate measures. Yeah. As you mentioned, we have a shortage of caregivers, and we're going to need to innovate. And I think one of the promising aspects is, one, that the technologies are getting better, they're getting more human, they're getting more effective, and the costs are coming down, which is really important for low-income older adults. But another factor that contributes is that each generation is more tech-savvy and tech-friendly than the generation before them. So baby boomers will be more engaged with technology than their parents. And then by the time we generation X and after us generation Y and Z reach old age, there's going to be just a greater level of receptivity to what technology can do. So and maybe let's talk a little bit about, um, and, you know, Faisal had mentioned that some of this, maybe a glimpse into the future happens in Japan. They're probably a little bit more advanced in that area because of their demographic structure than we are in North America. But I'm curious as to, you know, what are the tasks and the roles that you think technology slash robots are likely to take over? And so how does it evolve? Sure. And I think robots will never be able to give that personal support and love and care and nurturance that older adults want and need. But they can do tasks around the house and they can help with getting around the neighborhood. These kind of less emotional but really more practical things that need to be done. And when we're talking about robots, we're not talking about an R2-D2, kind of like a <laughs> Star Wars character, but really fancier assistive devices. Um, just as older adults today often are very comfortable with a walker or a cane or a hearing aid, all of which are technologies, those kind of technologies will be amped up. So in Japan, they have these kind of electric-boosted mobility devices that um, an older adult can lean on, kind of like a fancy scooter that pushes them up the hill. Um, chairs that can lower them into the bathtub automatically. So I think we're not talking about, again, a robot giving an older adult bath, but really more technologies that help them to get around in their home and in their neighborhoods and to eat three square meals a day. I'm, 
You know, Faisal, I'm, I'm interested, certainly, in, and I think Deborah's correct, we've got some technology that can do some of the utility aspects of it. Um, although we have seen, you know, we have seen technology, and we'll get to AI and artificial intelligence in a minute, but even technology now where you can have an interactive conversation. I'm thinking about Google Home. I'm thinking about Alexa and whatnot, right? You're starting to be able to have conversations, and this notion of social isolationism is a big problem and a growing problem with aging adults. Um Deborah, your thoughts sort of on, I, I get that there's going to be a blurred line on this emotional thing. And I'm just curious as to when you're future gazing, where you see this, this notion of social interactionism, uh, social uh, isolationism, excuse me, and the, uh, the idea or the ability of technology to maybe not provide all the emotional needs that somebody needs, but at least to keep them engaged. Yeah. Technology, I think, actually has great potential to keep older adults more engaged. And as you pointed out, social isolation and loneliness are considered epidemics. I mean, lonely adults are more likely to die prematurely and to be depressed and to be suicidal. And technology already, in very small ways, is helping to fight that. We are so tied to our iPhones and to things like Facebook that we don't think about them really as innovative technologies. But for older adults, they are. They hope help older adults to communicate with family members, even those overseas, using things like a FaceTime. They help them connect with other members of, you know, their high school graduating class. So already these kind of easier-to-use technologies are helping older adults to engage. And I think things like Alexa in the home also are another way to help older adults connect to the larger social world. It could be kind of a conversation with one of these AI devices, but it also could be just linking them to news sources and music and weather and this other information that is outside of their home but links them to the larger world in whether it's information or whether it's communication, there are these small steps that kind of are a foot in the door of helping older adults to engage with technology and view its positives rather than its negatives. Deborah, when we look further into the future and we, we hear the words artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, these are all scary words for many people. And uh, what, what do you see happening from a technology perspective using either those, those three different uh, avenues or others that, that you can kind of say, this is what we can see happening in the average American or Canadian home? Yeah, I think AI can be used in a number of ways. I mean, one is through the use of television. We're already seeing that kind of even video games, for instance. There's been real demonstrated effects of things like Wii and even more sophisticated technologies like that that help older adults to exercise and to kind mm -hmm. of stay fit. Another is uh, you might have seen some recent articles they were developing of kind of these pets, pets that, are, that look real, but they're actually robots. And they actually have had some demonstrated effect on older adults' emotional well-being. Because if someone is physically impaired, they can't go out and walk a dog every day. They might not be able to go out and buy pet food. But if they have a lifelike dog, there are some sensory effects of petting a dog. It's soothing. Um, so that's kind of one intermediary step between robot and human, but these kind of AI-type pets that have had demonstrated positive effects for older adults. I don't think we're going to go all the way up to having kind of artificial images or examples of humans to fit that role. I think that's still a little bit out there. But these other ways of interacting with lifelike things and images is already being shown to have a positive effect on your emotional well-being, at least. Deborah, you know, I'm, I'm going to 
give you a bit of story of, of, of Dave here. Dave's mother has uh, Alzheimer's. She's in a long-term care facility um, about three hours away from him. Um, what we're finding is more and more elderly parents are living further away from their adult children and technology is a way to bridge the gap. And so I'm, my question for you is, do you start seeing, and I've had this conversation with my 75-year-old father that I don't know what's going to happen. And he, his mobility is, is uh, slowly going down. And I, I need to know if he's going to fall or if anything's going on. Is he even in the house? Where, like, Instead of just calling him sometimes, I'd love to have that connection. Do you see that being the wave of the future as well, where we can start to stay connected and know what's going on? Um, without you know ha- having to make that phone call or do a FaceTime or Skype just to see them because they may not be able to answer. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely, I think the technology is going that way, and they're going to need to because we ha- the most rapidly growing population in the U.S. and in Canada are the oldest old, those people 85 and older, many of whom will go on to have dementia. And they do require, if not round-the-clock care, at least round-the-clock checking in, right, for, mm-hmm. for safety and security reasons. But their children can't do that because they live far away and they might have health problems of their own. So what you're talking about, kind of a monitoring system, we're already seeing things that are kind of like an overly developed kind of a baby monitoring system. You know, for instance, someone is a parent, they might have a speaker upstairs that they know when the baby is having difficulty or watching by a camera from work. Those technologies are getting better and better. And so that family members who live far away may remotely be able to hear and see what's going on at their family member's home. And so it's a way to have that oversight without being right next door. And as we know, there are technologies that the family member could reach out to that would bring in services like a, a rescue squad or kind of medical care should their parent who's far away need it because these technologies enable the kind of seeing and oversight and communication um, that doesn't require physical proximity anymore. It's going to raise a whole separate set of issues around privacy and invasion of privacy and uh, you know all of those things. But, Deborah, we don't have time to talk about that today. I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Great. Thank you. We've been joined by Deborah Carr, aging expert and author of Golden Years, Social Inequality in Later Life. All right, my friend, we're going to have to talk about uh, bulletproofing in retirement, and part of this might be some cost for technology to support you as you age. Yeah, so as you age, you're concerned about not only your lifestyle and the things you want to do, but... What if something goes wrong and you need uh, you need some kind of care, but you got to pay for it? How are you going to do that? What is the strategy to uh, to protect you in the future with your income in retirement? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, June fourth, seven p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call nine six six eighty four hundred. That's nine six six eight four zero zero. Or you can go online to register by going to morethanmoneyradio.ca. What do you do when your friends start dying around you? How does that affect your lifestyle and how you see the future for you? Stick around after the break, and we're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. I want to tell you about, um, uh, it's not, I was going to say a conversation this week, but it's been a series of conversations, and it's a trend. It's a trend over time that I've seen, and it it has to do with how people um, think about their lifestyle going forward. Okay. And so we... We talk about health a lot, but any time that there's a significant health event or people you know pass away. Or get sick. Or get sick, right? Something. How does it impact you? It has a huge impact on people, whether that is an immediate family member or not. 
Okay, but I've got to tell you the amount of conversations I have, Faisal, that are driven um, b- driven by a health event or a passing of a close friend or something like that. It triggers people to retire immediately. It triggers people to reevaluate what they're doing in their retirement. Yep. Um, how much money they're spending, what they want to take to the grave with them, how much they want to, you know, pass along. I'm just saying that this is. This is a part of the conversation that you and I have more and more and more of as our population ages, yeah. and um, and it has a it's a material conversation. It's a material change for people. It's a a different perspective of life. Yeah. You go you go through life thinking a certain way, feeling a certain way until you're impacted. Right. And when you're impacted, when it comes to um, a major illness of somebody you know, mm-hmm. or death of somebody you know, it could be a spouse or anybody else. It impacts you in a way where you start to reflect all the things that you've done in your life potentially. Mm-hmm. And then you start to evaluate, are those my true core values? Do I really want to do this anymore or should I change what I'm doing? And we have many conversations, like you said, of people who are starting to think, maybe I should change the way well, I was thinking yep. and what I'm doing going forward. The change that I see happen um, is, is people reevaluate how much they've got. Um, we start all the time with conversations with, do I have enough? Can I make it? Yep. Right? And I got to say, it's not everybody, but but generally speaking, people are concerned about spending too much and outliving their money. And then a shift takes place. When this when an event like this happens, a health event or anything, and, you know, your dad's been impacted by it personally yep. recently, and, and just we have literally conversations once a month with somebody that's being impacted by this, they start, they, their perspective changes that, oh my gosh, uh, my, my goodness, I might not be here forever. Um... Uh, Dave, what happens if I spend a little bit more? We take that trip that we've been putting off or wanted to do, or, or you know, I upgrade the house, or I do those renovations, or I buy a fancy car, or I give some money to the kids. I don't care what it is, yeah. right? But all of a sudden, it's what happens if we do this, right? And we're back to the financial planning exercise, and we're saying, okay, let's do some scenario, and let's look at what this is, right? But it's triggered by that emotional reaction to that event. Yeah, and so whenever we get this type of a request, mm-hmm. I want to go on a couple more trips. How does it impact my my financial future? Mm-hmm. Most people will just go through the financial number crunching. We ask the question, so what's changed? Mm-hmm. What happened? Why? Yeah, what's going on? Right. And so when we start to uncover the the reason for this change in, or or difference in perspective, some people have get into the point where they just want to start to do a whole bunch of things that they've never thought they would ever do. Right. And then they start building a bucket list of activities right. because I'm running out of time. Right. Other people will start going through and saying, what's really important to me? And let's refresh or restart on what we're doing and go forward from there. Either one of those could have a financial impact. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, when you're, when you're sitting down with them and you're having these conversations, are you... Have you ever said to somebody, don't do it? I've not ever said that, actually. I've not. Um, so, I, you know, I, I believe, uh, when I talk to clients, I talk to them about the, the journey they're on. And it's, you know, part of that's money um, because you have to support it. But it's about the journey. And the journey changes, right? We get thrown curveballs and changes all the time to that. So um, I've never said you, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. Right? You just have to understand why and the impacts of it right? and, and analyze it. But you end up having a very, uh, a very human conversation, not a mathematical conversation. The yeah. math has to be done. Yeah. Not saying it doesn't. 
but it's a human interaction. It's sorry, it's a human journey, and it's a reaction to something, um, which may be out of fear. They're doing it right, which may not be the right reason, um, and it may be for all of the right reasons that they've been delaying doing it. Right, so there's there. It can, it's not necessarily a slam dunk, but the answer is never. You can't do it. I've never actually said that. Don't do it. Let's just understand why we're doing it and what the impacts are going to be, because this is about supporting that lifestyle and that journey. Right, and there are influencing factors that change the perspective and change the outcome. Yeah, I would agree with you. I've never told somebody you can't do this. Right. What I and the impacts or the alternatives. Like, what are your alternative choices that you have, mm-hmm. and what are you choosing to do going forward? And and some people are are quick emotional reaction. I just want to go on this uh, a big trip or whatever they want to spend their money on, and they just want to see the impacts of it, and that's a quick reaction. Um, Others are just saying, you know what, I'm looking at life differently. Right. And so we start to say to them, okay, right. that's okay to do that. Right. It's going to impact you. Death and and health crises or issues are, are going to impact you. You're human at the end of the day. Yep. This is not a financial robot saying, you know, you pull on a, level, a levy and it says yes or no. Yeah, yeah. This is a, yeah, you can. Let's look at how it impacts other things that may be important to you as well. Yeah. And maybe your priorities have changed because of it. Bingo. Right? And so we talk about this all the time in, in the context of the four buckets that we're always talking about. You know, um, when we're talking to, to, to human beings, we're talking about the fact that things are going to change through the different periods of your life. Yeah. Now, we don't know exactly what those changes are going to be, but, you know, we're talking about this, this health-related one uh, today. And that, that always catches people. At some point, this conversation is always being had. Yeah. Right again, it doesn't have to be an, a spouse or an immediate family member, but it's a friend, a close friend, or somebody you know. Yeah, will have an impact, right? You know, we we we've talked to people in our industry, we and they tell their clients mm-hmm. that you're going to plan for a long time horizon, right? And so they're thinking long term when it comes to okay, we need this money to last for ninety, ninety five, which is all true. Yep. It's all true. Yep. And then the 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 human side of life where death. Or, or the understanding that you're going to be mortal, yeah. that you're going to die, kicks in. And then you say, wait a minute. I've been planning for living to 95, but I haven't been living. Right. Yeah, I've been delaying things. Um, we often get in the, the, the conversation I have a lot is um, what I call front-ending, right? So lots of people, and you, if you're listening and you know, you're thinking about this, you're not alone. Like most people are thinking, boy, when I've got my health or I'm younger and I'm mobile and so on and so forth, maybe I should be spending a little bit more in the good years, right? The go-go years, knowing that at some point, maybe I'm going to be impacted. I'm going to have to slow down. Um, the great unknown is health. No, no, I mean, we don't, we don't know. Uh, most of us don't know. I shouldn't say we don't know. Yeah. Uh, but there are health factors that you can look at in family history that will give you an idea of what you should be thinking about. But when you do get that change event, that change in perspective, mm-hmm. right? doesn't have to be a health event for you. It's just a change in perspective as a result of whatever health event happened around you. right? It, it's a valuable exercise to go back, often painful, and it's uh, scary to face sometimes. Yep. But it's, an, it's a really effective exercise to start to go back. And you said something earlier about core values, which I think are really important. Um, you know, Changing priorities. Often we'll see uh, legacy. Okay, I want to leave some behind for the kids. Well, maybe my perspective has changed now, and I want to spend more quality time doing something else that I've perhaps put off. That's fine, but there's sometimes sometimes guilt associated with that. Yeah, right. So it's the changing perspective, what the goals and the objectives are, the lifestyle you want, all of those things force you to go back, look inside, and what you're going to do. So the answer is never no. You can't do it. The answer is why. What's happening? 
Let's do. We got to do the analysis. We got to do the math. Let's understand the implications and let's figure out alternatives. Yeah. Right. That's the answer. What are yeah? What are the impacts of those choices? And are you comfortable having them? And they they still meet your values. And this is the beautiful thing about our 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 practice, Dave, is that we get to sit down with individuals and know that the numbers are the numbers, but at the end of the day, it's what those individuals and couples want and how they want to live their life right. is what gets us up early in the morning, yep. keeps us here late tonight, and, uh, and, and talk about these types of issues because money is just a vehicle to get you to your destination. Right. It's important. And I don't want to diminish the impact of it on, on anybody because we can often worry a, a lot a lot about it. So the math is important. But I really want to put first and foremost, by a long stretch, the number one thing that's a human journey. And think about the human journey and think about the emotional impact and think about what you want to do and, and experience. And then we'll work the math later, right? You work it backwards from that. Correct. Okay, enough said about that. We're going to have to wrap this up pretty quick. It's been a good show. But let's remind everybody about, um, about the upcoming seminar to help them understand how that human journey gets supported by all the fundamentals that you need. In yeah, place. the fundamentals of protecting and making money so you can enjoy that lifestyle, so you can actually realize what you've been dreaming about and for your financial goals in the future. We'll talk about that on Tuesday, June 4th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats, 966-8400, or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, that wraps up another great show. Uh, Faisal, good to see you today. I hope you've all um, given, you know, given some thought and have some perspective on this. I want to thank you. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.